Hi, this is Wendy Whalen. Thank you for joining us on New Combinations. Today, we have a conversation with choreographer Edward Liang. Hi, Ed. Hi, Wendy Whalen. Uh, it's so good to have you back here. I am, I'm obviously very grateful, but super excited. So let's tell the audience here your history with New York City Ballet uh, and SAB and where, where you dance professionally and how you dance professionally and, right. and what was your kind of road. I I came to New York around 13 and 14, between then. And, from? Um, from California, uh-huh. uh, Marin County, uh-huh. Northern California. And uh, that summer was my first summer course with uh, School of American Ballet. And they asked me to stay for the year, which I was so excited to do. Uh-huh. And uh, this was back in the old building, not at the Rose Building. So this was already where we were still in Juilliard. Early 90s? Late, late, uh, late 80s. Late 80s. 88, 89. I remember Jerry chose you as a little boy. Yeah. To be in Watermill. Yeah, that and was... And that was the first time I ever saw you. That was so exciting. I was... I've obviously seen pictures of Jerome Robbins and, you know, uh, books and um, read a lot about him. But it was amazing that he came and watched uh, Special Men class uh-huh. with Stanley Williams. And, How old were uh, you? 14? I was 14. That's right. Uh, and I got to rehearse for the spring um, boy character in Watermill. The one young person in the ballet. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, we rehearsed for, I would say, almost three, four months. Wow. And then... Was he nice to you? He was amazing. Good. He was quite grueling. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there was a lot of drags on your feet and um, we did that a lot over and over and I just remember that was my first experience working with a choreographer <laughs> and how intense and mm-hmm. how demanding uh, but yet inspiring he was mm-hmm. you know I was too young to fully grasp like just how amazing that opportunity is but at that time I grew too quickly so when I came back for the school year in January, he decided to go with Ethan Stifel, who was already in the company. Okay. And um, because I was, you got too tall. I got too tall. So he was like, well, if you're gonna not going to be small, then I'd rather have Ethan Stifel, which is totally understandable. Yeah. <laughs> who always looked like a boy, too. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, I obviously would pick these beautiful feet and technique over biscuits of mine so. <laughs> but we remember I remember when you were chosen by Jerry and we thought who is this prodigious young kid oh uh, but when I did get into the company years later I did get to perform it um, so that was a, a nice arc the, the boy part yeah oh nice yeah. nice with Jerry still uh-huh. and uh, so I went to the school for a couple of years and in 93 I I took myself to the Prix de Lausanne, uh-huh. and uh, I won this sort of professional cash prize award thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I got some notice from that, mm-hmm. and they took me as an apprentice. Mm-hmm. And then I danced with the company from 1993 till almost 2000. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was asked to join the Broadway cast of Fosse. So I asked Peter if I could take a leave of absence. And at that time, I don't know if... Not many people were doing that at the time. No, and I don't think that... I don't think you take leaves of of absence from New York City Ballet. Were you a soloist at the time? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. 
And uh, Peter said he was very generous with this. He was like, well, I don't know when you want to come back, so I'm not going to give you a release. But um, why don't we revisit if you do want to join the company? Let's have a conversation and let's see what the future holds. Oh, so you really you left the company. I left the company. And then, okay, we're open for yeah. whatever. But what was great was he, at least in our meeting yeah. initially, he said that he was very open for possibilities in the future. Uh-huh. And I, I really communicated to him the best I could that my, my view on my career and dance for myself is that, you know, I wanted to experience as much as I could while I, while I could. Uh, how old were you? I time? was 25. That's a, that's a time when you really want to hit a new, new plateau. Exactly. Or, or experience something. Exactly. So I did, uh, Broadway for a year oh, and wow. then I was lucky enough to guest a little bit in Europe and, um, here in the States with complexion, small projects. And when I was in Oslo, guesting for Symphony and C, that's where I met Paul Lightfoot, Saul Leon, and Yuri Killian. Oh, wow. And so they invited me to come audition in The Hague Mm -hmm. for Netherlands Dance Theater One. And I went to audition and take class, and I joined the company. There you are. Yeah. Wow. And that's where I started choreographing, because the culture there was very much about creativity and pushing all anyone um, that was interested mm-hmm. whether you're in the studio creating with the choreographer and developing material mm-hmm. or that they urge you to choreograph mm-hmm. so that's where I kind of got the interest to try my hand at that yeah uh, I only stayed for a year but I got to work some with an, obviously some incredible creators yeah and got to open my eyes to a whole new uh, way and lens of dance and it was uh amazing but uh i felt like as if i had to make the choice if i was going to really invest five more five ten more years or i was going to go back to new york right so i decided to move back to new york and without uh, a job without a job and uh i waited a couple of months just to see how i felt before i i tried to set up a meeting with Peter to Mm -hmm. ask if I could, you know, come back to the company. Mm -hmm. And I did some more freelancing. Mm -hmm. And then I had my meeting with Peter and I rejoined the company for uh, three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three, four years, something like that. Yeah. But during that time I came back, that's when I asked to be a part of the Institute if he would allow me for that. Um, I had the project with you and Peter Bull at the Joyce, which kind of... Truthfully, I I owe so much to you and Peter Bull oh. because you kind of launched my choreographic career. That was your first thing in New York. Yeah, yeah. And then it it was and you and you took home the rave review in the Times. <laughs> I remember that. And uh, uh, so it it kind of started some projects and yeah. it kind of cemented my interest in and passion for you know being in the studio. Creating, and creating, yeah, uh, with anybody that's willing to create with me. <laughs> I remember when you came back, and it and it was a very different level of maturity. And I remember you; it felt like you were multilingual. Um, you could do ballet, but you could also move like I'd never seen, and and differently than 
the majority of New York City ballet dancers at that time, you really opened up this door of, you taught me how to do my first body roll. Ed. <laughs> I remember we did um, Yorma Elo's Slice to Sharp yeah, together. And yeah. I remember you really, really helping me. Oh, really? Move Thanks. differently. And, and really piquing my curiosity, too, for learning how to dive in a different way into different repertory because I had never done that kind of movement before. Hmm. So I always thought that you were like naturally like that. I didn't know that well, I helped. You did help me a lot. You did. Okay. You helped me a lot. So this is your first ballet for New York City Ballet, but tell me about what other kind of ballets you've made. Where have you worked? What has inspired you working around the world? You've been around the world quite a bit making work yourself. Yeah, I've been very lucky in my transition from dancer to choreographer. Mm -hmm. After I left New York City Ballet, I, you know, danced with Chris and you mm -hmm. and the whole group for Morphosis. And did you choreograph there too? Yeah. You did. You got some opportunities. It was it was a great experience because I was a ballet master, I was a dancer, and I was a choreographer. You were getting ready to become a director, weren't you? <laughs> I guess so. I think you and were. And I was helping with scheduling and some of the logistical things like that, which was a great education. Yeah. And learning how to take care of, of the group mm -hmm. and the group dynamic, mm -hmm. whether it's food or... Psychotherapy? Psychotherapy, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I whatever. remember you were very good at that, too. <laughs> whatever was needed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I... You did cook some amazing dinners for us I, as I, a group I cooked, in Martha's Vineyard. I cooked dinner for, I think, well, it was awesome, every, almost every single night for four weeks. You were the chef? Yeah, for 23 people. You know what? The best choreographers are also chefs, I find out. <laughs> Truly, right? Balanchine loved to cook. Yeah, there's so a, many of the best choreographers. It's it's all about make like food and you know, creativity and figuring out like what what is your goal and it it's it I love it and plus I love to eat, so Yeah. <laughs> cooking really helps that. <laughs> Do you remember when you made the cheeseburger egg rolls? Yeah. Yeah. It was, and I Set, and somebody asked me, what's your favorite meal ever, favorite food? And I said, for years, still, I can say it today. <laughs> cheeseburger egg rolls. Oh, that is such <laughs> That a would be my last meal, that Ed's is, cheeseburger egg rolls. That is such a compliment. <laughs> I, I loved creating that. I mean, I kind of copied this, uh, this egg roll that I, I had downtown. And it was a cheeseburger egg roll. And I was like, I think I could like, you do did. something like this. You killed it. It was Thanks. great. But uh, what's nice is I've worked in ballet companies and in modern companies and in projects. Uh, I've been fortunate to work in big companies like San Francisco Ballet, Houston Ballet, um, P&B, uh, the Bolshoi, Marinsky. the Marinsky. <laughs> um, I've done different um, productions at, with different uh, stars like Carlos Acosta for mm -hmm. the Royal Opera House and the Coliseum. Um, I've worked a little bit in Germany and Munich and in just yeah. uh, a lot of different experiences. In the meantime, you've become a director of a yes. company <laughs> yeah. and you've, and I've, I've actually been there and I've worked with you and I always recommend dancers to check out Ballet Med. I love your repertory that you've, that you've built. Thank you. Um, I love the energy that you've built there. Um, what's it been like to be a director Oh my gosh! Uh, in, in Columbus, Ohio, 
For it's, how many years, first of all, have you been a director the, there? This is my seventh season. Wow. So six years, and this will mm-hmm. be my seventh year as mm-hmm. an artistic director. And um, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult job. And the first couple of years um, was just a steep learning curve. And then mm-hmm. you try to find your voice and your style of management. Mm-hmm. And... We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. I think managing dancers or staff mm-hmm. is probably one of the most difficult things mm-hmm. and understanding what your style is, how to best communicate, how to communicate clearly, mm-hmm. um, but also s- see the opportunities where you can understand how to support. Mm-hmm. You're a facilitator now, mm-hmm. so you really try to facilitate the artist and the staff to grow, mm-hmm. and you you do your best that you can to identify and grow other leaders to grow the culture with you. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. At, at the same time, it's a different reward than being a dancer and as a choreographer. It's less instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Uh, even mm-hmm. with a choreographer, you, you know, you, you have the process and you open the ballet, you know, within a year at least of the time that you started creation but you get to see it as a director and as you develop programming and the business model it's more of years Mm -hmm. of of understanding the growth and seeing it grow and it's a different experience of reward but it's very easy I think I'll be quite honest to um for myself mm-hmm. to forget that you are a facilitator and that even though you have the power or the, um, the decision-making for the organization, but to really keep that in mind that you're making decisions for the whole organization and everybody there. Mm-hmm. And your decisions have huge impact to the culture, mm-hmm. to individuals, and to the livelihood of um, the people, art form and the yeah, people which is sometimes if you think about it, is a little overwhelming and daunting. But it, I feel very, I feel grateful that they trust me to, you know, hold their careers. Yeah. But so far from what I've experienced in the Midwest and working with different small companies in the Midwest, mm-hmm. is that there is an appetite mm-hmm. for dance mm-hmm. and. I always joke about this, but I think ballet and dance is the ultimate communicator for theater. And the reason why is because dance is uh, body language on steroids. <laughs> it, it really, uh, to yeah. me, it is. Yeah. And if you think about how we're able to read each other as human beings just by body language and habit, that form of communication is dance yeah, and, and that came before language it as humans right exactly we we talk to our parents by the way we move and our totally. parents talk to us through that way so it's only natural that it we we excel at that as becoming a, a, a ballet trained artist and then it, it's on it's on steroids like yeah. you said yeah. it's just an exaggerated version of of body language and what's great about communities like Columbus, there's an appetite and there's an interest. They have not had the privilege 
to see a huge breadth of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and some pieces are, are not um, designed for people that are just starting to experience dance. And what's amazing also is that I get very surprised on how certain pieces are received. Mm. Uh, certain pieces that I program are not purely for, um, it's all for entertainment, but it's also hopefully for dance education for my dancers yeah. and to grow the dancers, to keep the dancers interested, to grow right. them as artists, but also to grow the community and what their appetite is for dance, what they see. Yeah. And if you continue to just show them exactly what they're comfortable with, then they don't grow themselves as an audience base. Right. So uh, I'm very happy, at least from what I've seen so far, on how the, the audience and my community has embraced all, my, all the different ballets that um, we brought in so far. Do you make a lot of new work on your company or do you bring a lot of choreographers in or how does that balance out for you and, and Ballet Met? Well, I, to be perfectly honest, is that I prefer to try to program as many choreographers outside of my work as possible. Uh, I see myself and my role with Ballet Met not so much as this company company facilitating my choreography. It's full full bodied and round with lots of yeah, you know I do one full length a year. Uh, a classical, you create a classical yeah, full length a year. It's always a, like a traditional classical or or not always that. Uh, yes, a traditional classical. What was your most recent? Uh, I've done now a a, a brand new Cinderella. Huh? I've done a Sleeping Beauty. I've done a Don Quixote. I've also are there uh, fuetes in that Don oh, Quixote? You've oh, yeah. got the full on, seriously ballet choreography. Yes, or pure ba- classical pure ballet ballet technique. technique. Wow, and uh, done a Giselle from scratch. Hey, that's uh, amazing. And this year I'm doing an Alice in Wonderland. Okay. So every year, that's I think how I've structured. Ballet Met is to have two full lengths, generally, plus a our Nutcracker, and then two triple bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audiences like those full lengths. Yeah, they yeah, do. They do. And you know, for our industry, is, is that in, is that you want to make sure that you do one that ha- is a. I kind of categorize them, and I've heard other artistic directors do this. Is um, there's different levels. A level um, one or A is a Disney-themed princess uh, storylines like Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Beauty and the Beast. Uh-huh. Um, so those are one grade of, of ticket sales. Oh, for and, real? They, yeah. Those go first? Oh, yeah. Wow. And you can track them by their sort of category and then Category two is like a Romeo and Juliet and um, something that's a little bit, you know, a Jane Eyre or, Mm -hmm. you know, Streetcar Named Desire or even Giselle. Don Q is actually within that category. And then you have uh, the third level, which is more contemporary, like Carmen's and things like that. So Mm -hmm. there's different areas where 
how you program and rank them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's ha- kind of how you tr- I try to balance out the budget uh-huh. is the balancing act of what is needed to bring in the audiences so that they understand what dance is like and then hopefully try to push them and invite them into the triple bills, which is, I think, where it's all that <laughs> the best kept secret, which should not yeah. be a secret. Yeah. I call it like the passport around the world because you yeah. get a huge perspective of three different choreographers in one evening. Yeah. And I, I always think that when it's not a story ballet, it challenges the audience a little more because they're often abstract. And and it allows you to think differently and explore in your own imagination what you're seeing. I think audiences often get scared of that because they think it must mean something. What am I? What do I not get? It's right. like it doesn't mean anything. It means what you are feeling right now. So that kind of education is something that all ballet audiences need across the country, or maybe even around the world. I don't know, but I'm so I think glad people get that. a little bit nervous that it, they don't understand what dancers are telling you through their movement, and it's like, just relax, <laughs> let it wash over you. And then let's think about it later. Or you don't have to think about it at all. Just sit back and dive into that world with your with your mind. I, I'm so glad that you said that because that is one of the challenges that mm-hmm. I, th- I think even more so than in, in the Midwest or that's not a coastal city. Yeah. Because the access point to so much art and yeah. theater is less. Yeah. And there's a, you know, in New York City, there's a whole range of world-class theater and art, and uh, it, the amount is almost overwhelming. But it seems like they want colors, and they want a picture that tells you what it means, right. and they want you to give them the feeling and give them like the idea, rather than asking the audience to come up with their own idea and coloring for how they, what they take from the experience. I, I, again, I, I'm so glad that you brought up that this topic because last mm-hmm. February I did a piece for a project for Roberto Bole and the Scala dancers, mm-hmm. and we brought it to Davos. Mm-hmm. And that was such an incredible experience, but it also was really eye-opening just talking to some people that are world leaders mm-hmm. and what they thought about art and dance. Mm-hmm. And the topic was being able to keep our humanity and keeping, I guess, the human identity and what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And art and dance was talked about in mm-hmm. this World Economic Forum. Mm. And people are very afraid of not understanding. Yeah. And people, I think, are just afraid of not being able to uh, show up or they have to react a certain way or their fear of not getting it or not being enough. Yeah. And I, I said this in an interview before. I, I, I saw this on YouTube, this interview with Oprah. Oh, yeah. Well, hello. <laughs> you know, Oprah. <laughs> but uh, after, you know, what, 25,000 interviews or more that she's done, she said the, f- the one thing that she's noticed that has crossed all paths of different um, guess is the first thing they ask is was that okay? <laughs> so that all, yeah. what that means is that 
people are afraid of not being not showing up right yeah. and what they want and yearn yeah. is to be seen and heard yeah and fit in yes yeah. so it's our job it's, it's my job yeah. to try to find that sweet spot to invite people in to this art form that I you and I absolutely love. just love <laughs> yeah. with every being and you know there's many days where I wake up I'm like I cannot believe this how lucky how I lucky yeah. and that it exists for us to be able to be a part of yeah and um it sounds really corny oh. but it it's true. It's true. And yeah. I I like to remind myself this as much as possible, mm -hmm. especially the days that are difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself more and more saying, I just love dancers. I just love them. So many things about them that I love. Um, so I really want to hear about this piece that you're making for us. And I saw a couple rehearsals and there's some very beautiful things happening. Thanks. Um, tell me about how you started. I know that you took your time on choosing some music. And just tell me tell me some stories about this piece. Does it have a title? Uh, it doesn't, but I need okay. to come up with one soon. Okay. I actually, yeah, we can talk about this actually on air about this. But um, <laughs> once uh, you guys asked me to... Um, invited me to create a piece for the fall fashion gala. Uh, and once we decided what the music was going to be, mm -hmm. and then uh, when New York City Ballet helped facilitate Anna Sweet. Did you reach out to her yourself or to the company? Uh, or? It was more official. So the costume department in okay. New York City Ballet reached out to her and uh -huh. she accepted. Wow. And um, so I sent her the new composition of by Oliver Davis and we had the same sort of takeaway from this music it sounded very sultry in the beginning and it had this uh, folk dance Slavic sort of undertone mm -hmm. and she got the same thing mm. and so I asked her I said what do you think about you know, I don't want to create a full story per se. Uh, I still want to keep it abstract, but I, I want us to be inspired by this sort of feeling and internal story. I, I do want the audience to be able to find themselves through it and not like knock them over the head and say, this is, this is the path. Mm -hmm. I found a link for myself is that I was like, how's, you know, this is my first real ballet for New York City Ballet, the House of Balanchine. <laughs> and, and Robbins. And, and Robbins. And he and Wielden took you and Peck. under, yeah, all these people yeah. shaped you too. So I just thought it, it would be just a small little homage to George Balanchine mm -hmm. because, you know, he's Georgian. And I, I started doing some, a little bit of just internet research on the interweb of uh, Georgian folk dance and Tbilisi Ballet Company. And so Anna and I started combing through different fabrics and designs, and that's how the fashion kind of began. And we were kind of going back and forth, and she was very similar 
I, when I went to her studio, she had this huge wall of inspiration. And I like to... For clean. this yeah. or for... No way. Wow. And Jeez. yeah, and also a wall for uh, her fashion designs uh -huh. for this season. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I loved that she worked that way. So we would send each other different photos and different uh, of some of her designs, some of uh, really old uh, traditional folk costuming. Mm -hmm. And it was really fun that way where it didn't feel forced in this collaboration. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the piece is very much a deconstruction or just inspired by Georgian folk dance. And it looks very contemporary, though. Very. Very contemporary. Very. Yeah. And so it's a mixture of. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's kind of inspired by yeah. versus it, it being r like a real takeoff on, you know, Georgian folk dance or any type of uh dance and then I, I think we took it another step within the studio is that I, I kind of wanted to find an, an angle for myself just like emotionally and mm -hmm. just for myself story-wise mm -hmm. and I kind of created this story where these nomadic people and they would you know migrate how around. many people in your cast there's 16 so eight couples uh -huh. and originally it was going to be 10 or 12 couples, but I just wasn't the way the patterns that I, that I constructed, it wasn't going to fit the stage, mm -hmm. even though, I mean, the Coke theater is massive. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking big Ed, to yeah, start out. I, yeah. I, yes. And then I quickly realized that I need to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. it just, it was very much about, um, and thematically, I had another ballet that I've done this before, but I kind of wanted to explore more of it in a different mm -hmm. sort of way. I have a lot of the dancers facing one corner, and it was either going to be the corner that Mr. B would stand uh, in, the would wing. Stand in mm -hmm. or it was going to be the other corner. So I thought, you know, maybe not such a real direct... I don't want it to be too obvious that way. Mm -hmm. So I chose the other corner. But my story is that a lot of folk dances, if you look at it, it's about a celebration, mm -hmm. a celebration of life, celebration, whether it's a birth or a death, um, celebrating a marriage, dance in communication to express joy or an emotion. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I wanted to create this thing where one time a year mm -hmm. in the, in this, this little area, um, I guess it's sacred to these people that they were able to see God one mm -hmm. time a year. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's God, but it's that they're able to connect with source or themselves. Uh, and that's why they and we just created the story, like that's why they danced. Mm -hmm. So it's much more in the first movement and Sarah Mearns and Russell's Potida that they go to the corner and that they're... I did see that in the rehearsal yesterday, yeah. That there's an, uh, an they're homage. They're being drawn yeah, to exactly. that corner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So 
How uh, many movements in the in the piece, Ed? There's five. And what's the music called? Does that music have a title? Um, and is it brand new, commissioned, or has it been recorded? Or? It's a hybrid. So oh. uh, probably three of the pieces were directly written for this. Oh. And what was great about it is that in order to facilitate this in the timing, uh, he used some archival pieces that he's already written. So this would be considered a commission, but an early release of mm -hmm. music. These pieces have never been, been released before. And he's coming out with an al another album, I think, uh, later next year that would release these pieces. Uh -huh. uh, he has quite a few albums on iTunes, mm -hmm. and he play his a lot of his music is playing regularly on, on classical radio stations. But and choreographers are being drawn to him a little bit more. Very, very. He's I mean, a new name in the choreographic sort of. Yes. Oh, I'm working with Oliver Davis music. Yes. Yeah. I mean, his his music to me is is uh, is very inspiring. Mm -hmm. It lends itself to dance easily, mm -hmm. and it's such a wonderful hybrid of of uh, contemporary minimalist music. Mm -hmm. So, that's kind of the the where the piece is. I have just probably like three minutes left, and uh, that's great. This week is really about kind of fine tuning and changing things that are that that are unnecessary. So I've packed it with a lot of steps and now I'm going to go and do a little bit of weeding so mm -hmm. that it's not steps for just lots of steps. You've got your structure now you can Yeah. I can yeah. I can whittle away on it. Yeah. and carve it carve it out a little bit more. Yeah. Great. Ed. Yeah. So so you you worked pretty closely with Oliver Davis on deciding yeah. which pieces to use and how to shape them and how was that collaboration? I mean, Where does he live? Does he? He's based in London. Oh, okay. And he lives a little uh, outside of London with his son and his wife. Uh -huh. And uh, we have gotten grown. We've grown very close because of we've done a couple projects together. Oh, okay. And we actually spent ten days outside of the Tibetan territory just for <laughs> a trip or educational trip on Buddhism because we're we're doing a project together in China. It was it was a great bonding experience wow. whether we're trying to drink yak milk to like <laughs> <laughs> Now that's a different kind of collaboration yeah. than most choreographers or, and musicians yes, or getting, you know, altitude sickness because it was really high up in the mountains and wow. or just pushing him to try weird Chinese food. It's, it was hmm. terrifying at the same time. Yeah. But we really... You get along. Yeah, a lot. That's and great. It's, it's nice to be able to do this. And what's really interesting is that he named this piece, at least in the score, he's like, I'm going to wait until you name the, the ballet, and then mm -hmm. I'll just name that for my c CD. But I'm just going to have a working title of Apollo. I was like Apollo. Huh. <laughs> I was like, I don't. Think I can't that, use that one. Uh, that's not. That's not going to work. <laughs> Orpheus. Okay, yeah. fine. Orpheus. I'll use that. Okay. One. <laughs> I that. Do you? It's for New York City Ballet. You understand? Um, <laughs> I, yeah. That's yeah. That's not right. But uh, he was like, okay, well, I'm just going to use this as a working title for the score, and then so. once you decide, and 
what's interesting is his wife sent me this title because she knew that I I was think already thinking about titles. Mm-hmm. And I think she was in Prague with her husband. They were traveling with their son this summer. Mm-hmm. And she sent me an email saying, I came across this statue and this sculpture and and I was listening to the music and would you consider this title? And it's been floating around as one of the possibilities, but I I still haven't finished the piece mm-hmm. and I don't know if it it's too descriptive so that it doesn't it's not open enough for people to mm-hmm. not even question the title because people get stuck on things. Yeah. And so she sent me, it said, um, in the spirit of the fathers. And I, I liked it because it was, it's a very intense, almost religious title. I'm just afraid that people are going to not understand, like what fathers, what are, what are you talking right. about? And, or they'll of course go right to Robinson to, Balanchine exactly. and they'll be like, you know, yeah, make exactly. some comment about that. Exactly. Yeah. So I do like that connotation, though, because yeah. it is, uh, in some ways, a very small homage to uh, George Balanchine. Yeah, just in your own, in my own sensibility. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, I, that's why it's just kind I, of open-ended. Yeah, we'll I understand see. that. Yeah, I like it, though. Thanks. But, but I understand exactly what you're saying. But you'll, you'll feel it. You'll know. Yeah. Sometimes I have a very easy time naming a ballet. It just yeah. comes to you. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's, <laughs> it is like. I remember Chris would always ask his dad, what should I call this one? And his dad named a lot of his ballets, right? Yeah. And yeah. both Chris and I. Chris Wielden, that is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Christopher Wielden. Christopher Wielden. Yes. We both have had conversations sometimes where it's easy to name a ballet. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like that. Yeah. Yeah. When I was watching you rehearse, and I was remembering when I was in your work back in the early days of your choreographic career, and you come in so prepared, you don't really, you don't, you don't seem to make things up on the spot too much. You do some, but you come in with an idea kind of sketched out and then you shape that. Is that correct? No. You're on the spot? On the spot. (gasps) Wow. You... I think when I worked with you, I, I had some ideas, and uh-huh. I was so green. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and you didn't want to. I I was working with Peter Bowl and Wendy Whalen, and I wanted to show up well. <laughs> well, I didn't want to look completely like. Yeah, and I didn't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> you did not. Embarrass but yourself I at all. really try to work it out in front of the dancers. Huh. And luckily, I choreograph quite fast. So that doesn't scare me so much. Mm -hmm. But I really try to not have the steps prepared and Mm. just kind of um, put them together and put sentences together. And then we take it apart. And I just throw a lot of material at the the dancers. And then then we kind of go through it and see what works, what doesn't. But I kind of like the free fall of it. I like the the fear factor of it. Uh-huh. I also love and remember the experience of having something done on me. And how important that yeah. is. Yeah. And I did some 
interviews as well is that this would be the perfect fit to have this approach because you're talking about fashion and you're talking about couture and there's nothing like having something tailored made, tailored for your body yeah specifically yeah and you wear if you ever get the opportunity to wear high fashion it it's amazing these mm -hmm. are pieces of art mm -hmm. just like the steps hopefully you're creating good art mm -hmm. <laughs> that will lend itself to more to the dancers that are you're creating it for mm -hmm. so i've learn to kind of change my approach and in a that way i'm not um as rigid mm -hmm. and the process and the energy in the studio is not quite as rigid mm -hmm. and i come up with things that feel more in the moment mm -hmm. i guess well what i see is when you're showing a step it it looks like you've prepared it because you 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 show it very clearly and you you understand it as you're saying it, you don't have to take it apart and, and figure out what you're doing. You're like, oh, no, no, your elbow needs to go up and around and you shape your I would it would take me like three days to figure out how to explain a movement that I was coming up with. Well, you, you know, the what you were watching in the studio was uh, that part was it was teaching a, a whole different group of material that was already done to the third movement. So I was okay. teaching the rest of the company okay, back. Okay. And it was reminding, like, even some of the lifts, and that was kind of why I call around the world. Um, You've got was, a lot of nicknames. I do. I, I, I tons love, of nicknames. I love having nicknames. We're talking uh, about nicknames for steps. Yes, nickname for steps, and then... Tell us some of your nicknames for steps. Well, for this ballet, I have... Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus or Christ Superstar. G or JCS. JCS. Say, let's take it from JCS. Yes. Um, Barry White 1 and 2. Okay. Uh, we have... Uh, we, don't know, we don't need to know why you call it right. these things, but Fla everybody understands. Yeah. Flying Squirrel. Um. Uh, that one's a good... That one's an easy one to figure <laughs> out, which I really like, the Flying Squirrel step. But it's... And it's written into the score yeah. so that the next generation... That does this piece, well, they'll know <laughs> that it's got this name. Yeah. And the Balanchine and the Robbins ballets have these same names. Yeah. In remember there. Crazy Legs? I, uh huh. And uh, what's mm -hmm. the part in Fortis that dun 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 The Devil Dance? Devil Dance. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Yeah. It's fun to do experience. that. Experience. And then you feel like as if uh, you, you're a your process is a part of the music. Yeah. And you're I... identifying a, a, a part of the music and a part of the step, and you're marrying them with these with this little hashtag or yeah. whatever it is. And it's fun to create a little bit of levity and fun into yeah. the process, which I love. That's Keeps why... Keeps the humor going a yeah. little bit. Yeah, and it... Take it from Barry White. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I sometimes it's very clear. The titles also help the dancers go back very quickly mm -hmm. because whether they are musically derived or they're physically derived, mm -hmm. but it, it, it's very quick mm -hmm. in explaining, go back to this it's section. a little cornerstone of, of a moment. Exactly. That everybody exactly. knows where to start from. Exactly. So it's, these are some of the things that I love talking about, especially in a podcast like this. <laughs> is There's secrets that it, nobody knows about. It's industry insider secrets. And it's part of the, Part of the beauty of what we love about what we do. 
Totally. And it's bonding and it's, um, you're making something together and we don't really know what it is yet. And it's, there's a mystery and an excitement and a joy that like is building in the process. And it's, it's something that is very interesting. Why I feel so comfortable with you and talking about this, our, our, our world and our craft and, the process is, you know, one, you're Wendy Whalen, and then two is that what I think outside people don't quite understand is the the amount of intimacy that we have had through the years. And it's not like as if we're best friends where we call each other every day, um, but I still have this direct connection with you because we've experienced so much together on stage, off stage, in a positive way to look at this is that we're almost like war veterans together. Yeah. That you will only understand what I've been through and I will only understand parts of things that you've gone through. And we see each other so clearly because of that Mm -hmm. and have this like weird, strange soldiers at arm trust familiarity. Yeah. And the friendship the friendships that I developed throughout the years in City Ballet and in other companies are different than any other friendship that I will ever have my whole life. Yeah. And it's such a interesting, powerful experience that we all share. It really is. It's something that I don't experience in any other part of my life exactly. those kind of th- friendships exactly yeah and it's it's a it's a it's a very interesting sort of understanding and you put your body and your mind together and you create something from scratch and then all of a sudden you have this idea that you formulated together and there's nothing like it yeah it, it's very similar to the tremendous value of memories and mm-hmm. and the worth of memories and vacations and you know you can buy lots of chotch from your vacations to help you remember but it it's really about the experience and the memories that you have with the people with the people Mm -hmm. and that is the value of this craft like dance because it's such an ephemeral art it it's here and you create it from scratch from nothing in a studio yeah. and it becomes something through people mm-hmm. and then hopefully through these powerful experiences of performance that all of us can be changed somehow yeah and you share them yeah yeah wow oh. we, we got deep we got Wendy. deep we got deep really... thoughts with ed liang here yeah totally on the new york city ballet podcast <laughs> new combinations oh my gosh so, Ed, it's been so fun talking with you. Um, oh. I really can't wait to see this new piece. And um, the first performance is on September 26th. Yeah. The gala. At the Fall Fashion Gala. Fall Fashion Gala. Wow. And then it happens a few more times throughout the season. Yeah, six new performances. Work. Oh, wow. And what's great about the six performances is that at least for one of the Potter does, I have a second cast, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about a new work is for me, and I know for you, but you know, you make something, you put it out there, it premieres, but it 
never ends. Oh, it's gosh. still, it blooms each time it's performed. It starts to expose more about who it is and what it is. It's like a little being, a piece. So that's what I love is watching and feeling a new work develop just by doing it and by connecting with your people that you're dancing with. And it just, it starts to take on a, a flavor or a perfume or an essence of its own. And that's always exciting to experience. What's also amazing about, especially New York City Ballet and New York City Ballet dancers is in going to the idea of it blooming and growing with every performance, it's more so in New York City Ballet because the dancers perform so much mm -hmm. and the amount of comfort that they feel on their stage. Mm -hmm. And for instance, like watching you perform you're so comfortable on stage that you let yourself and your partner explore and mm -hmm. dance in the moment mm -hmm. versus something else mm -hmm. because of your comfort mm -hmm. in on stage. And that lends itself to having exploring and deepening this the the feelings that the artists want to express so that hopefully the by the sixth performance it's even more marinated. And I've seen this in not only in my work, in ballets, but other choreographers, when they come back the mm -hmm. seasons later, that it's just because you haven't been touching it, it marinates even mm -hmm. more with the artists. Yeah, just a little time away, and even time not thinking about it. Yes. And then you come back and readdress those steps, and it's a, it's a whole other level of understanding. Totally. And it's kind of magical in that way. It is. We can't wait to see your piece, Ed. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. Thank you for having me. I love talking with <laughs> Wendy Whalen. Anytime, Ed. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to City Ballet. To stay up to date on episode releases, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope to see you soon in the theater, so head over to nycballet.com to have a look at what's on stage.